welcome to the first episode of the Experiential Education Podcast. This week, I'm talking with Sin Smith, director of Tihoi Venture School in New Zealand. Tihoi Venture School is located on an old timber mill property near Lake Taupo in New Zealand. I had the wonderful opportunity to travel there last year and visit the rustic campus to gain an insight into the dynamic and challenging program they're running there. For me, it was a great opportunity. I've worked on long stay programs before and this one was a real standout for me. It's New Zealand's only 18 week back to basics outdoor program designed specifically for year 10 boys. Started in 1979, this program has grown and developed to continue to meet the educational needs of adolescent boys. During their 18 weeks, students experience academic, social and outdoor challenges that help students become independent, gain resilience and be self-managing. It also provides them with the opportunities to learn to live with others, build friendships and get themselves fit. Sin Smith has a wealth of experience both in New Zealand and internationally and it was awesome having the chance to talk to her about the program that they're running over in New Zealand. So here today with Sin Smith, who has been the director of Tihoi Venture School for 11 years. Can you give us a little bit of a background about your experience in outdoor education? Okay, well, um, I started obviously my own high school experiences, okay, down in Canterbury, and we ventured up to the Southern Alps a lot with the tramping club mostly. And then I went in and studied at Lincoln University, uh, the parks and recreation degree with a focus on outdoor ed. In the third year, I went and did that in, at Colorado State. So I did my third year studies, which had a lot more specialised outdoor ed programs in, in, those, in that time, which was the late 80s. And then sort of ventured through a journey of teaching, our ski, ski industry for about four years, then teaching, outdoor pursuit centre, outdoor instructing, and then teaching, PE, range of places in um, Polytech system in New Zealand, and then came to Tihoi, which is a great blend of everything. So wide variety of experience. I, I love the skiing aspect and uh, ski Colorado ended up on a, on a program myself over in Colorado for a season. Okay. So yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah. So specifically to Tihoi Venture School, could you give us a quick overview of the, the program here that, you, that you're running? So who, who's it for? Yeah. And, and just a few okay. things about the program. So um, St. Paul's Collegiate's an independent um, junior boys school and senior girls and boys school based in Hamilton. So their role is about 700 students. And the junior school is the year 9 and 10s. So they come to um, St. Paul's and it's only boys. And in the year 10, they are split into two groups and they come to Tihoi for six months or two school terms of that campus year. So And then they swap back. We have um, 64 year 10 boys for an 18-week programme. The program is based on a sort of a holistic overview. It was set up in the late 70s. First intake was in 1979. And it was based about around that sort of in-between year in our system at high school where the year nines are new to the secondary system in high schools and the year tens don't have any formal exams or assessments. So sort of a little bit of an in-between step between starting high school and then the formal qualifications process. So that's where Tihoi sort of started with, with English teachers wanting boys to have more stuff to write about and they brought them down here into the bush and captured the experiences and um, it's sort of built from there. Definitely would give them a lot to write about 
And I know, I know journaling is a big part of what you do here on the program. So mm-hmm. how does journaling impact on a boy's, a boy's learning? It's just one part of sort of the philosophy. It's quite a holistic education. So the journal is, um, they write on the very first day their first impressions. It's for goal setting in week three. They do five pages of entries a week, which at first they can't believe they're ever going to write that much. And they finish a journal that they're really proud of. I call it their history, his story documents. So it's about um, reflection, lots of reflective practice on um, how things went, when things went well, when goals are met, when goals aren't met and linked to our Virtues project. So, yeah, it's an integral part of what we do, and I think the reflective part is often our biggest learning rather than the actual doing. With the structure, with the setup of how the boys are living, I've read that they're living in a cabin with eight other... Oh, sorry, seven other boys, so there's yes. eight in a cabin. How does, how does the cabin function, or how is it supposed to function, putting eight, uh, eight young men in a... In a basically in a little cabin together. Yeah. Initially, the St Paul's pastoral team um, put the groups together, so it's a nice range of academic, physical ability, boarders, day boys, and they're put into the cabin, so there's eight eights, obviously, 64 boys down here. And then they, uh, it's a journey of independence, so when they first come, there's a staff member attached to each cabin, so they start and um, get to know the boys, and it's the first step in our pastoral care sort of relationships, and they work with that team for the entire time, so they work with one to eight, the second day of their journey, they go into the bush tramping so they get to know the boys. And then in the house, the boys start learning the jobs, doing the jobs. So every morning they have different and night. So the three boys will cook each week and then different jobs, bathroom and laundry, pigs and rubbish, grounds and surrounds, floors. So they have it takes about 30 minutes in the mornings to get their house and it's inspected. And then in the evenings, they um, do their dinners and make sure the place is tidy and things before they go to bed. So... It's a big part of the independence and um, taking responsibility for themselves on that journey. Absolutely. I'll, I'll go to the cooking because that would be that would be quite confronting for them because mm-hmm. most of them would be coming from home where mum or dad cooks dinner for them, has it ready at, uh, at 6 o'clock every night or what, whatever is a regular time for them. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, nobody's cooking for them except for themselves. So how do you find that? that transition well it varies depending on the kids because some kids have had exposure to some opportunities in the kitchen um, and some absolutely none they haven't even been allowed on the lino in the kitchen basically because mum paroles the area and manages that but it's pretty progressive we start cooking basics and then there's um, so fairly simple sort of menus and we go through those and then they build up next term in the second half of the program they actually plan their own menus in order the food that they want to cook so they and they actually challenge themselves more than that we do so we do stir fries pastas rice they do roasts so they build a repertoire of skills during their time and then in the second term they sort of take control and basically can cook what they want they just order the food from our kitchen oh fantastic yeah they get their main meal at lunchtime provided by a residential chef okay yeah so because obviously it's hard fitting in all the cooking and things and then the studies and the outdoors so how do you find they take to those responsibilities boys will do they're very pragmatic creatures they'll do what they have to do so they actually embrace it because they want to eat good food (laughs) very motivated by their stomachs young men I find yes that can be a big motivating factor but there'll often be two that are more into it than others and they will sort of take the lead in that area and then other boys might take the lead in the wood chopping or so uh, certainly um, different people come to the fore in different parts of the program what happens if that relationship 
breaks down because it, it's often uh, it's an intense residential environment. And so what if one job doesn't get done or it doesn't get done to the rest of the house's satisfaction? W- yeah. What happens then? That happens fairly regularly, to be honest. That's probably the biggest challenge is working as a team on the house chores. No problem working as a team when they're doing something fun in the outdoors, but when it's the monotony of chores and inspections. But they just find their way. They've got good guidance with the tutors. The house tutors are there and, you know, fairly high um, staff to student ratio. So they work alongside them and then the kids, they have social education. So once a week they have an afternoon as a house to discuss or make up rules or treaties on how they want to operate or time limits on showers and everyone eventually gets there. Um, there's always a few that need coaching slightly closer for a longer period of time but in the houses also are kind of there's generally a couple of stronger sort of leader types within the group so they're quite well sort of planned socially engineered to work. So with that do you find that the responsibility of them making the rules for themselves has has worked far better than having rules, say, set by global rules mm. of the campus set, you must do this, you must do, do that. Yeah. Have you found that to be an effective way to get the boys yeah, to take on? Yeah. They buy into it. We don't really set any rules for their house life. I mean, there's obviously timetables and they meet to those, but we don't really structure how that happens. They develop that themselves within their teams. We, The less rules, the better is my theory. Um, they... We have rules for safety or for reasons, but not for the sake of rules. Today, a lot of schools are focused on technology and a lot is focused on e-learning. However, boys here, they can't bring iPhones, they can't bring iPads, they can't bring devices. They have limited access to Chromebooks and that's just for lessons. What do you see as the benefit of removing technology from these boys' lives for, for five months, basically? Well, for me, it's the um, interdependent relationships that they build. I think a lot of kids are growing up sitting behind screens and that becomes their their friend or their device. So that social thing, doing stuff for the sake of doing it, not to post it on Facebook. I remember some of our first kids that's climbing up mountains, oh, this would be so cool if only I could put it on my Facebook page. I was like, just enjoy it. You're standing on top of a mountain. Um, so I think the value of doing things for personal reward rather than for... Um, displaying to others like your badge of achievements it's about yeah that real personal growth interpersonal relationships with peers I think that's worrying to me when you walk around schools and the majority of the campus is sitting on phones and communicating than not communicating with each other so we just have lots of games outside if it's a sunny afternoon we'll have 20 boys on the volleyball court five boys around the table tennis table a few boys playing hockey on the field boys in their houses cooking, some chopping wood, some in the rock climbing, bouldering, just doing instead of sort of being or observing <laughs> in those actions. Yeah, so I, it's become a big part of our program and we're really sticking to it, um, that philosophy, and it's becoming more attractive to our clients because they've lost control. Uh, it's really been a disjoint uh, or a dislocation in society and certainly in the last... 10 to 15 years has been a sudden change. Mm. And I think as, as educators, often we're, we're trying to scramble to... The genie's out of the bottle, but we're trying yeah. to scramble to get back. Well, I read an article only a few weeks ago, and it was about um, a lot of sort of might call them technology gurus or people, you know, like Gates and all of those who have done have major um, 
involvement, Steve Jobs, and their kids are all in Montessori or schools with no screens. So I think we're we're in unknown ground. We don't know what we're producing. And in this intake, I have to say, I've had my first kids who I think I've got serious gaming withdrawal anxiety because I live on them iPads and I and their games and the parents let them because it's a babysitter. Yeah, yeah. It's... Yeah, not all because we have kids who come with fabulous outdoor experiences and they don't even have Wi-Fi at home sort of thing. <laughs> so all parts, you know, on the spectrum or on the continuum of that, those choices people make. But, yeah, it's really important. Our whole philosophy is around back to basics. So basic foods, not highly processed foods, basics with regards to relationships and building good values and virtues in young people, basics around respect, responsibility and those sorts of things. So it's sort of a thing, song that resonates throughout our programme. And that's really... I. Um... I will ask. I will come back that to that later. The the overall the other or overall growth, mm-hmm. but that's uh, that's excellent. The, the back to basics approach, I guess it gets rid of a lot of the noise of mm-hmm. because kids are constantly bombarded with images, with marketing, with everything that's going on, mm-hmm. with the opinions of, of the world uh, that's un- quite unfiltered at times, and yeah. so. I guess it's it, you give them the the opportunity to filter all of that out here yeah. and. Well, a lot of kids who, even their phones, they don't feel they need as much after being here. They're like, oh, it was kind of, I wasted so much time as a reflective comment I hear. So it's about learning appropriate use. And I think, I do feel we're losing ground of that. And I even say with my own family, it's something I still have to struggle with and make concerted decisions. And sometimes it is easy to be slack or to let them because it's a great babysitter. <laughs> it's easy. I, yeah. I've seen it with my niece and nephew. It's 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 really yeah. easy to do. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about morning surprise. I, I heard that and I'm I, I'm fascinated. What what is morning surprise? Oh, so the um, background of morning surprise is basically there's sort of a reason to get up, not just sort of crawl out of bed and have breakfast. So it gives clears everyone out of the house so the cooks can cook a hot breakfast because they have a hot breakfast every morning. And then the rest of the house, so that's three boys cooking breakfast and then five boys head out and it's just a physical activity usually, a game. If it's really miserable, it might be up indoors in our big dining room or might be multi-ball soccer, it might be yoga, it might be stretching, it might be a jog, it might be touch rugby, bull rush, anything that people can think up just in the morning to get going for half an hour. Oh, I love it. That sounds it's, like a lot of fun. Yeah, you'd be surprised. The year 10 boys have a lot of energy and they're, once they're up, they're keen as and they can be yelling and screaming at 6.45 and into <laughs> their day. With uh, just with the the morning classes, so you, you have classes from eight forty five through yes. till, uh, till mid- noon, yes, till noon. Yeah. So how do you find that? That's quite a difference, and it's only four days a week. Yes. Uh, that's quite a different model from most schooling, where school goes from uh, sort of eight thirty ish till three thirty ish. How do you how do you find this has impacted or improved the educational experience? Well, after lunch. No one wants after lunch classes, let's be honest. I've worked in a secondary school. <laughs> you feel ripped up. It's often hard. And Friday after lunch, you're, not, you're battling to get anything achieved. So we just teach during the pertinent times and then teachable moments. So we don't not 
do study in the afternoons, but it might be a field trip or it might be applied out in the um, environments or it might be journal writing and they go and sit wherever they feel like in a space where they're comfortable. It might be on their bed, it might be at a table in a, in a classroom. Or they can choose to be in a supervised area or they can be somewhere where they want out in the sun if we're fortunate to have good weather, which doesn't look like it today. So um, it's just, that's the key learning times. And it's just classroom, we don't spend time writing notes. We don't, we, it's doing and learning and um, just way more efficient use of the day. Yeah, so full academics, three hours of focus, that's all you're expected to do and you do it. Yeah, I like that structure. That's yeah. really good, a that really good approach. Voice. Yes, yeah. yeah. And yep. I, I've also, being a high school teacher, have tried to teach afternoon lessons. It's mm. painful. Mm. I, I just, I don't feel like up to it. Actually, yeah. what, one time I was uh, working on a ski program with uh, down in Jindabyne, and we did the skiing in the morning and then classes in the afternoon. Oh, okay. And it really should have been around the other yeah. way. And I remember one year seven class, I was, uh, I was reading to them. So we, we were doing The Magician's Nephew uh, mm. by C.S. Lewis. And they had this nice room and there's a lounge there and I had four year seven boys. I'm sitting in the lounge reading and I managed to fall asleep. Whilst reading, I was so tired and the boys just went about their work. And I, I woke up like right at the end of the period because I heard the noise of all the other kids moving around. And I woke up and said, oh, why didn't you wake me? And the boys said, well, you look tired. So we thought we'd let you rest. Yeah, great. But but yeah, it, it wasn't an efficient use of our time no. with um yeah with those afternoon classes. Yeah, so yeah. we just do the teaching in the mornings. It works really well for mm. us. It puts quite a bit of pressure on efficiency of delivery because we don't spend yeah. hours slave. But we just yeah, do what we need to do. Cut it back to basics. Oh, <laughs> excellent. I like it. Two two of the outdoor activities that that really stood out when I was um, having a look at the program is the the survival exercise and the forty four hour solo. Mm -hmm. Could you give us a bit of a, a more detailed um, uh, description of both of those? Okay, well the survival bush survival is in the early start of the program, so in the first month because they rotate because they're constantly mixed in their groups in the outdoor program so that they get a break from the people in the houses. You alluded to conflict and challenges living together, so we always mix them all up and from their academic classes. So the survival is about it's a, um, how to survive, what to do in a survival situation, um, how to build a bivouac, how to, watch, um, how to find food, some knife skills, so all basics, how to light a fire, how to find food, those sorts of things. So, and it's about a bit of resilience early on. Sometimes it's not all easy. So they have no food for 24 hours on the bush survival. But they also learn as a key part of our safety planning. So if they did get disoriented from a group, we know that they've got their stuff with them and they know how to set up and wait for um, someone to come back and find them. So it's part of our sort of our safety management systems, but it's also, yeah, just good resilience, good bush skills, working together, toughing it out actually when things... Because a lot of the time we, in modern society, it's too easy. So, yeah, they have to tough it out. They get a rabbit, so they can skin their rabbit and eat that if they're really hungry. And how, how many do that out of, out of the boys? A large majority. We have a few vegetarians who choose not to, but it's choice. Totally, they don't, no one has to. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, 
I love it. It's actually, interestingly, it used to be the dreaded program, and now with all the survival programs on TV, it's like the manhood badge. They love it. <laughs> yeah, I survived, and all the survival programs on telly, that's really popular. So they actually see that as a challenge, and, oh, we can do it, and all those programs with people on islands and lack of food, they actually see it. Okay, I want it. They want to do it. Mm. Yeah. We have a trip at the end called the expedition, so the kids choose the pursuit they like the most and they go and do that for five or six days an extended wilderness journey is a sort of culmination of the program and one boy said oh, I want to do a survival um, expedition which we don't offer <laughs> but it's just sort of the changing attitude towards it I like the fact that so many kids are taking to that because mm. yeah it, it really is throwing them in the deep end right yeah, at the start it isn't is. it yeah. yeah and they're just with three out so they're not on their own they build a bivy in three mm. so there's three of them so they sort of sit around and it's starting that process of like she we've got nothing to do what should we do oh let's start sharing some stories and storytelling is a big part of us as well we're really into that um with that so another thing in our St Paul's Senior school teams are very successful, even though we don't import a whole lot of talent, but we have really good teams because the boys just know each other and have that respect for such a large body as a unit. From being down here, I truly believe that's largely why, and so does our headmaster. Yeah. That brotherhood that we sort of build. They don't like everyone, but they respect everyone and they actually know how to work as a really good team. Excellent. Yeah, we've had some successful... Um, wins and rugby teams against star-studded sides, but we're just good core country brute and teamwork. So we're pretty proud of that. It's amazing how working together within that team can, can change the outcome, even against, say, say a star team or something yeah. that is... Star-studded. Well, yeah. that's an issue in secondary school rugby, and we're a pretty big rugby school, but they're bringing it, importing, you know, lots of stars. But, yeah, we've still had quite a lot of success, and we reckon it's the brotherhood and the team you know that united sort of body that you build and it's really nice because it's not like the border than the day boys at St Paul's in the senior school it's just all the boys because they've all been to see where they've all been a border at some point so they have that brotherhood yeah it's really nice Excellent. I like it yeah no that's yeah. that's really good and then the solo so the solo is another thing that's been going for a long time so we they don't just get put out on solo for 44 hours. It's quite a progressive time. So the first day they have a solo, on the first day, just half an hour, just sort of, okay, I'm here, been busy, packing, all the anxiety of who I'm going to be living with, saying goodbye to mum and dad. Stop and write themselves a letter on the first day, and they get that at the end of term one, or a couple of weeks ago, about week 10, and they go on a six-hour solo, and they get their letter to themselves, and like, okay, is this what I thought it was going to be? Am I doing what I wanted to do? Realign their goals. And then they... Go. So the solo is really about that time for reflection and then they get another, um, write another letter to themselves which they get on the 44-hour solo and then in, um, on the 44-hour solo they write a letter to themselves which is posted and they get that in five years' time. So it's all about goal setting and reflection. And So that would be probably one of the only opportunities where they will be by themselves and nothing else external other than the environment is around them yeah. how, how do boys do, do you find boys some boys can't cope with that or or have they got to the point over over that progression that it's just something that they they push themselves through yeah. or, or they really thrive yeah. with I totally they they some of them will still push themselves through because it's quite confronting for some kids to be on their own particularly in the bush but they've had lots of experiences and they it's week 17 they do their solo, so they're nearly finished, so they're near graduation. 
It's not the, it's quite structured, so they have activities to do. So they have specific reflective questions and they have the letter to write and then they do a bone, finish their bone carving, which is a part of the um, and a program that we do in term two and they f take it off to do the final touches and string it while they're out on their solo. And they have um, an artistic challenge with bush, so they build big creations out of sticks or leaves and they build their bivy. They're also... Um, method in our madness is that uh, they're fairly tired at that point and they're about to go on their large wilderness expeditions, the six-day journeys, but which is w what they finish with. So they, give, they basically arrive, build their bivy and go to sleep for 12 hours. <laughs> then they wake up, do their reflection, do the stuff for the day, and then they have one more night and then they come back and they're refreshed and ready to head off on their six-day trips. I think that would that would challenge most adults. I think that yeah. would insanely challenge most adults because yeah. it's it's such a confronting experience. But that's excellent, just that yeah. that structure to it, mm. being able to use that yeah. time. And they take their journals, so they read through their back through their journals. So they've got that's the only they're not allowed to take reading material or anything. Mm. So they take their journals and they take um, they can take all the letters they've received from families and friends um, with them. So that's yeah, those things reflecting setting their goals for when they return home and how they want to be their goals returning to the main campus because it is different going back into those environments and what have they learned and what do they want to um, embrace and maintain with the changes. Yeah, and they have input into where they are. So if they are super nervous, we don't. We put them quite close to the centre and we've got really well-lit floodlights and things so they could be in a place where there's lighting because it can be very, very dark and the New Zealand bush in this area is one of the best night skies in the world. Um, it's, there's no sort of light pollution because we're quite away from anywhere. So they can have input. Like A lot of the boys will want to be far, the furthest away but if they want to be closer or if we're concerned about their anxiety, we'll have them nice and close. And they're checked three times a day. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. there's fairly, um, it's not like, yeah, fairly <laughs> vigilant processes around it. But you know the kids so well by then. You know who's going to yeah. cope well, who's going to struggle. Um, they can come back in if they need to. They, they know the way back in. It's all on our bush running tracks, the sites are. And, yeah, they, they have input. So they're well placed. Very few kids don't do it. Yeah. Mm. Or if they do, they'll come back and just complete it, modify it. They still have a challenge. The program, it's just designed to constantly push uh, the boys outside their comfort zones, which, mm. which I think is excellent. What, what impact do you see this having over this extended period? So it's a five-month period. How do you see that just constantly pushing that comfort zone out? Well, I think you have, they have to step up and take responsibility for their actions. There's no one to pad the way or follow up or um, make excuses. So that responsibility, it's a really important step on that journey of independence. I mean, I was meeting with a mum today and it was like, actually, mum, it's your journey as well. You need to realise that he's not your little boy anymore. He's nearly 15 and he needs to, if he does something wrong, he needs to own it and deal with it. You can't mop it up. So that's... Um, that's really important to me, that journey of independence and developing that resilience for when things don't go well in their lives because nothing, no one ever has the perfect journey here. Even our top students, they trip at some point. You know, I had a great, fabulous boy in tears the other day just because he was just so tired and it was like, he had to take a deep breath and it's like a couple more days, end of term, everyone's tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think that's 
part of it, but we also keep it varied. So whilst we have routines and things, we always have different and fun things. So it's not like the daily grind. So every week there's something different. It might be a field trip or we might have a quiz night one night. We have um, music nights. We have um, guest speakers come in. We have visit the main campus. We have people visit every week. We have different people come and they might have someone in the house for dinner. So it never really gets boring or repetitive because every week just they always just say, oh, it's gone so fast. Oh, that's excellent that, that you're getting that feedback because, yeah, you do want that momentum to... Yeah. to uh, be kept yeah. up throughout throughout a program and that would yeah. be one of the challenges I would imagine for mm-hmm. for an extended period yeah. but that's part of it and you, they improve the organizational skills and all those things that they need to be successful in senior school and in the real world really balancing sports and families and academics and cultural activities it's fairly intense in part-time jobs <laughs> So over over the years, has there been any standout moments? I'm sure there's been lots of standout moments, but but maybe share a story with us of something, maybe a turnaround where someone's been really challenged by a program. It doesn't necessarily have to be here, but yeah. sort of in your career in outdoor ed, does something stand out that that was a real real learning moment for you as well? The key ones for me are those kids who that self confidence when there's suddenly sort of a light goes on that actually I can do it. So they may have never really been good at sport, but they do the training and they get fit because they train up and do a half marathon on their second to last day. So in that sudden belief that, you know, finishing a race and they're in the top 20 and they've thought of themselves as a hopeless athlete, it's like, oh, I can actually do something and I've done really well. Um, if they're in the top third of the group, because the they've really pushed themselves. So those sorts of moments for me, it's really about kids' self-confidence. I hate to see a boy with his head hung low or not in belief in his abilities. Yeah. I mean, I love all the other standout moments, like that one standing on top of the mountains and the key points of success. But, um, yeah, it's just that journey and sit in self, really, I find the most rewarding. Excellent. Mm. No, no, that's really good. Thank you. In terms of finishing up for a program, they've been away from home for five months and they've certainly experienced so much and gained that level of independence. How do you go about reconditioning or reintegrating them in to back to their everyday life? Because that I would imagine that would be quite challenging for some of them. So that's probably our biggest challenge is that they just go back and... Um go back to how they were and nothing's changed it's probably a disappointment so we're sort of we're still working on looking at ways to improve that because we have a morning tea with the parents to follow up and then we look at making sure that the um, mums in particular are off the bridge and we call it the bridge of independence um, and so that they they're off the bridge and sort of sending them on their way which they've done at Tihoi and not pulling them back in so um, that's one way. It's about the boys, the goal setting. A lot of them will just start doing stuff. Like we just had a reflection morning tea with follow-up from last year's group and they were like, you know, they'll, he'll just come in and fold the washing or help with the dishes. And we used to have to ask and ask and moan and he wouldn't do it. And now he just does it because it's not really a big deal because he's done it at Tihoi. So, and then the academic studies, you've got mum to sit beside you and do half of it. So you have to do it yourself. 
So it's, yeah, but it really is up to the families. You have to, I mean, the boarding boys generally have greater independence anyway. But the day boy parents, but they buy into the philosophy and they want to help their sons on those journeys. So it's about making, supporting them to support the, the journey of independence, yeah, I would say. But there's certainly not always success. You know, some people, will go, they will go back to their old ways. But with a long program of that many weeks, when they do leave home, those skills crank straight back into action. Yeah, I'd, I would imagine that the, the the discomfort of being away from home, suddenly it, it all comes back to them very quickly. Exactly. So yeah. the transition to university. So yeah. if they go back to their old ways, and um, I think mothers like to, and the kids are so busy these days in high schools, it's fairly crazy. Um, so, you know, they don't have time to cook meals and things. But even if it's put on hold for a couple or three years, when they go to university or when they do leave home, they leave, they have, those skills all come straight forefront and they've got the confidence to sort of take that step a lot easier. That's what I really love to, to see is that those life skills, the lifelong mm. learning yeah. and the impact that, that can happen, not just necessarily in the short term, but certainly yeah. in years to come and, and yeah. going into their adult lives yes. as well. Well, the big, we have heaps of old boys come through, but then their wives are always like, all oh, he talks about at St Paul's is his journey at Tihoi. So I think the learning continues for a lifetime. And in reflection, reflection, and in um, the memories and the um, different, they think back and learn different things as time goes on. So I do think they are lifelong lessons, even though you don't might not realise it at the time. That really brings me to my final point: was what is the impact of the overall Tihoi Venture School experience? And that really kind of encapsulates it, doesn't it? Yeah. So the building of confident, self-belief, independent young men that can hand, cope with when things don't go their way, I think, is our core philosophy on that independence that they create. So, yeah, but the learning isn't all just here. A lot of it's once they go. Yeah, that's excellent. And do you find they take that journal and it becomes something very precious to them over over years? Yeah, generally. Um, they. I mean, most boys keep them. They're kind of... Um, a beautiful leather-bound sort of handmade material journal, and they've put a lot of hours into them. Perhaps the parents uh, look after them more in the first few years, and then later on they come back and appreciate them. But, uh, yeah, it depend- and also it depends on the ability as, as a writer. Some boys, it's a little bit of a what they've eaten. <laughs> so there's levels of content in them, but, yeah, no, they're fairly good, and they're goal-setting and things, so... It sounds like a fantastic program that you're running here and thank you very much, Sin, for your time. It's, no it's been excellent chatting around what you do and, and yeah. how you're developing boys into young men and, and adults. So thank you very much. Oh, thanks for your time. No problem. That was Sin Smith from Tihoi Venture School in New Zealand. For more information on the amazing work that they're doing at Tihoi, there's some more details and links in the show notes. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please rate us and leave a nice review. It helps others to find the podcast and also helps me to review and improve the show as well. If you'd like to get in touch with any other feedback or want to chat about an awesome experiential education program that you're running, please visit our website and drop us a line there. Join us next week. We'll be talking with another great educator who's working in experiential education.